Well, we are in a series, um, Path to Success, Lessons from Saul and David, and um, we've been looking at the lives of these uh, two kings of Israel, and while they shared God's calling and blessing and resources in the beginning, we began to see that their responses to God led them in starkly different places. And so uh, tonight we're continuing, uh, just continuing this uh, series, uh, just tracking through the life of King Saul and King David. Now, King Saul was the, the first king of Israel, and, uh, and so in a lot of ways, God um, just, well, God blessed both these men, but God... Um, set Saul up um, to, be, uh, to be the leader and, and the king. And yet, we see that even though God, uh, God gave these resources, God gave the, um, the calling to be king, Saul, it seems, his heart was never in the mode of seeking after what the Lord wanted. So tonight we're going to look at two stories. It's kind of been the, the way that we've uh, worked through this series. We'll look at uh, a, a snapshot in Saul's life. We'll look at a snapshot in David's life, and we'll compare those two, and what can we learn from them. So tonight, if you've got your Bibles uh, open, um, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to actually start with this story um, from David, even though uh, Saul was uh, the first king and David followed him as the second king. We're going to look at the story of David first. First uh, Samuel chapter 24. And I have it up on the screen. We're going to start in verse 4 tonight. 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. And so here's the story. Uh, David, um, the summary or the, uh, the back story is even though Saul was king, uh, we're going to see even in tonight's uh, story that God removes his favor from uh, King Saul. And he says to King Saul, um, your kingdom's going to be given to somebody else. And so God kind of sets this in motion by going and finding David as a young boy, and he anoints him as king. But it's years before um, that promise or that anointing um, where David is actually placed on the throne. So what happens, David, um, after he's anointed, um, we know the famous story about David when he fights the giant Goliath, and he defeats him, not in his own strength, but because of his faith in God, because of his courage and who he knows God to be. And so he defeats this giant, and that kind of begins this meteoric rise for David. And people start to sing songs about David that just really rub King Saul the wrong way. And it's really interesting when we read that, that they would sing songs that say, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed 10,000. And Saul's like, that guy, you know? But he watches David 
kind of grow and mature. In fact, Saul, maybe uh, following the old adage, keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer, brings uh, David into um, his service and eventually um, puts him in charge of part of his army. And everything that David does succeeds. And the more David succeeds, the more jealous Saul gets. Until he gets to the point where Saul really has his mind and his heart bent on just killing David. So he tries several times. As we get to 1 Samuel chapter 24, David now is um, a pretty seasoned warrior, um, but has um, left the employment of King Saul because Saul's always trying to kill him. And so he's, um, he's come away, and now Saul has attracted 600 um, elite warriors, outcasts, guys who don't really fit anywhere else, but they know uh, a good leader when they see one. And so they have joined him, and now they are hiding out um, kind of running across the countryside from hideout to hideout, trying to stay one step ahead of King Saul, who every time that he gets a lead on where David is, chases after him and tries to end him. That's where we are. First Samuel chapter 24, and here's what happens. Saul or David and his 600 men are hiding out in this cave And as King Saul and his 3,000 men are pursuing, King Saul needs to answer the call of nature. I I like this story. I like telling it to kids. I won't tell it to you the same way I tell it to them. But he's looking for a bathroom. And so he says, hey, there's a cave. And it happens to be the same cave that David and his 600 men are hiding in. The Bible is full of this ironic drama, isn't it? It's so fun. So King Saul goes in. He's doing his business. And this is where we're going to pick it up. Verse 4. David's men said to him, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed And he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Let's pause right there. That's fabulous. That is some some sneaky ninja stuff right there. David, have you guys ever been in a cave? Like it is echoey and it's right. And he has the skills to sneak up and cut off part of the robe of King Saul. Why he's doing his business. That's fabulous. But here's the thing. David starts listening to these voices in his head. Well, in his ear. Because it's his guys, right? His trusted guys. His fellow warriors. And they're like, dude, God is totally giving him into your hands. Now, nowhere do we see that God has promised And said, hey David, next time you get a chance, you should kill Saul. God hadn't said that. But his guys were like, dude, this guy has been hounding you. And here he is. It's got to be God. And so David, I think, gets caught up in that. And so he, he sneaks up. He cuts off a part of the rope. 
Now, here's the thing. Big deal. He cut off part of the robe. But let me explain to you what it, what's significant about the robe. In Near Eastern culture, a robe signified your status in the culture. So a king's robe, especially the hem, the bottom, would have been decorated in such a way that when people saw who was wearing the robe, they would have said, oh, dude, that's the king. Like it was very ornate and it was very, it was specific to his role. And so what was, what was it that David, because you look at this next uh, verse, as soon as he cuts it off, look at what what it says. It says, afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. What is the big deal? It's a robe. Like I've got a fuzzy pink one at home. Like it's a robe, but it wasn't. By cutting off a piece of the king's robe, David essentially was sending a message that says, I can end you anytime I want. I can cut off your reign as king as easily as I cut off that piece of your robe. And immediately, David was convicted in his spirit. Because David had gotten caught up in this, you know what, this is not exactly the way I pictured this when I was anointed how many years ago. I mean, really, I'm hiding out. Like, I've obeyed God, I've done what God's wanted me to do, and I'm hiding in a cave. And this guy is here, and this guy's kind of a, he's kind of a dork. Like, he hasn't really done very much right. And I'm, I'm the one hiding in a I think he gets a little caught up in it. He's hearing the, the voices in his ear. Dude, God's given you this opportunity. And David acts. And immediately, immediately he's convicted. And so we see what David, what David does. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men, and he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Here's the thing. Life was not going the way that David thought it was going to go. I don't know exactly what he, what he pictured when he was anointed as a young man, but I don't think hiding out in a cave, being an outlaw, uh, being a wanted man was probably on the list. And yet, David realizes he is, he's receptive to what God is saying in his life. And even in the midst of the temptation to uh, create his own future, right? Even in the midst of that temptation, he's sensitive. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the guy that God has put on the throne. And it would be wrong for me to end that. David is is, um, demonstrating that he has trust in God's plan, in God's timing. And he's saying, 
I'm not going to rush the process. I'm going to let it roll. I'm going to let it play out because I trust the one who has made the promise to me. And so he regretted his actions and he acted or he, he stopped in the midst or uh, he, he backed up and he did the right thing, even though life wasn't really rolling out the way that he thought that it was going to. Well, let's look at uh, kind of a, a comparison story. And we're going to look at King Saul. Uh, and now in our timeline, this would be way before or before uh, David is even anointed. So King, uh, King Saul is doing his thing and he doesn't really do it well. And he makes a lot of mistakes. In fact, I'll just mention this is the first uh, significant mistake that's, that Saul makes is in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we see that the Philistines who uh, just were, they were a nasty people to start with, but they were constantly uh, at war with Israel during this time period. The Philistines were relentless. And there were always skirmishes back and forth. They were always fighting um, back and forth. But we see, um, we pick up this story in uh, verse 7, the second, there's a new paragraph there in verse 7. Paul, I don't have this back there, so you can't put it up. Um, Verse 7, it says, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all of the troops with him were quaking with fear. And he waited seven days. So here's what's happening. They're getting ready to fight with the Philistines. And Saul is wanting God's blessing on this battle that's coming. And so Samuel, the God's prophet, has said, Just wait. In seven days I'll be there. And I'll, I'll sacrifice to the Lord. And I'll, I'll ask for God's blessing in the battle that's to come. King Saul, verse 8, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Have you ever had a plan that then it just kind of started to fall apart? So here's Saul, and he's got his guys, and they're scared already. Did I mention the Philistines were bad people? And they've just been dogging Israel. And Saul is trying to hold this army together. He's trying to hold his men together. And he's waiting on Samuel. And he's like, please hurry up. Seven days. Come on. And Samuel doesn't show. Life is not going the way that Saul thought that it would. And so what does he do? In verse 9, Saul says, So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. Now, I don't know about you, but do you remember as a kid (laughs) doing something and like, immediately getting busted for it. Anybody? 
like, I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of kid, I was the kind of kid, I didn't like getting in trouble. I, I didn't mind following the rules, mostly because I didn't want to get in trouble. I hated that feeling, that lump in my throat and that, like, the sweat breaking, not good. And here's Saul, and he has just acted foolishly. Life was not going the way that he thought that it should. And so what does Saul say? Oh, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. I mean, how hard can it be? It's a burnt offering. You just light that thing on fire, right? He inserts himself. He takes control of the situation. And then Samuel shows up. Let's see how that goes. In verse 11, Samuel says, What have you done? And Saul said, Well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set times, it was his fault. I mean, it was Samuel's fault, clearly. He was not there on time. Sorry, that was, I interjected that. That wasn't in the text. When I saw that the men were scattering and, I, and you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel says, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What was Saul's sin? Almost exactly the opposite of the way that David responded. David trusted God's timing and God's plan and God's, uh, his process. He trusted that God would keep his word. And when the prophet of God, when Samuel would speak, it was understood that Samuel wasn't just coming up with good ideas, but that he was speaking on behalf of God. And so when God gives Saul the plan and he says, just wait Saul didn't wait. He stepped in and he took the position of control over the plan. So here's the thing. For us, life doesn't always look like it's like we think it should. Sometimes we got the best plans and we can see far out and it goes sideways. I remember, and I've shared this story before, but I remember um, the weekend that uh, we came to interview here. And um, when we went home from a great visit, but we went home that weekend. And Angie, my wife Angie, and my daughter Kara and I could all come up, we all came up with reasons why we shouldn't go, why we shouldn't come here. And so we just gave the answer. We said, no, we're not coming. 
But I look, I look back on that, that five days of really no peace. None of us could sleep. And I look back on that now and I see that my reason was fear. My wife's reason was ministry that was there in that area, not trusting that God would finish what he had started through us with somebody else. And Kara, she had the next four years of college planned. And to move, we had no idea what that was going to look like. And as we stood in our kitchen and we had a little family meeting, and I left Blake out of that. Blake was in the family meeting, but Blake was like, eh, I don't know, it was pretty cool. We can go if you want. But as the rest of us stood there and we talked about this, here was the decision that we came to. Here was the decision that was on the table. I said, God's not going to love us more or less depending on whether we go. The decision is, do we want to put ourselves in a place where we can see God show up? Where we can see God work in ways that we can't really picture right now. And I think had King Saul paused for a minute, had he had his eyes on who God is... And trusted in the character of God. I think King Saul might have chosen to pause. And say I'll trust. And we see David doing that. We see David do that over and over and over and over through his life. Because David had in the front of his vision. I want to honor And love my king. So here's the the takeaway I think for us. Because life isn't going to go the way that we think that it should go. Plans can be really good and then they're going to go sideways. Even when we pray about those things and we plan those things... They don't always roll out the way that we think that they're going to. So what do we do in the midst of that when life takes a left-hand turn? When, when it's just frustration or there's hurt or there's, um, there's pain in the, in the process, in the journey? What do we do with that? And the thing that's been rolling in my head and in my heart over the last couple of weeks is this verse in John chapter 15, 5. I think you've got a slide for that, Paul. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing.
I think looking at the, the, the overall picture of David's life, that what David had in mind, what David had as a desire, a deep desire in his life was to abide with God. And now it becomes so much more personal because Jesus is saying, abide in me as I abide in you. If you remain in me and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit. Evan says, <clears throat> Evan said in the very first message of this series, he defined success for us. He said that success is loving God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And I think the only way that we can accomplish that is if we remain in Christ. To allow him to live his life through us. So there's been a, a prayer over the last couple of weeks that I've, I've been uh, praying. Uh, the essence of it. It's, it's not the same words every day, but the, here's the essence of it. And I put it, Paul, we've got it there. Here's the prayer, and I want to encourage you, the, the words, yeah. but the essence of it, the attitude of it. I want to encourage you maybe to start your day this way because it puts the right lens for us to see our day through. Lord, today is your day. I want what you want for this day. If I approach this day without you, I'll make a mess of it. I give you my life today. Live your life through me. Here's the hard part. And I'll be satisfied with the results. It's really a prayer about trusting who God is and being satisfied with the way that he lives his life through us. I want to encourage you, when life takes a left-hand turn, make sure that your eyes don't go there with the disappointment and the heartache and the frustration, but our eyes are square on our Lord who doesn't change. And he's just saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. And we're going to get through it. Let me pray for you guys. God, that is not easy. That's not easy. God, I'm asking that you would do that work in us. I pray that you would draw our hearts to you. Father, that you would um, reveal yourself through your word, that we can know your character, that we can know uh, who you are. Father, that the end result would be that we would trust who you are, 
Father, so that we can just keep our eyes on you and know that you'll walk us through as you live your life through us. God, we can't lose. God, as we go out of here, I pray that you would just Would you help us just to come to the end of ourselves and find the sweetness of being near you? Father, live your life through us. We love you.